Welcome back to The Basement, fellow music fans. Uh, you are now tuned into yet another thrilling adventure on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about one of the most anticipated releases of the year. And it's also, uh, spoiler alert, one of the most confounding, at least to me. You know, we, we were huge fans, at least I am, of uh, Sturgill Simpson, not just his last album, but his, uh, his first solo album, uh, High Top Mountain. Uh, amazing songwriter and performer. Uh, and now he stepped up to the big leagues, and so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that go along with that. We're going we're gonna to get into that, though. Uh, also going to talk about uh, the Howard Theater. Now, this is a locally based conversation. We don't often do those. I mean, we do talk about the scene. We do cover uh, a lot of DC music here on the site, but, uh, and on the podcast, but, uh, you know, to my mind, a lot of what we're going to be saying about the Howard theater and its problems and some of the solutions that, uh, Marcus Dowling, who's sitting in for this one, is going to offer up, uh, can apply to any town. You know, we know that the arts are woefully underfunded. We know, uh, that venues often have a problem like promoting stuff and getting people out to see live music and getting people out to events. Uh, so some venues like the Howard, in fact, do some weird things, uh, because you got to make up the, the money somewhere, the money that is getting just sort of left, just washing down the gutter. Um, so we're going to be talking about that and, uh, you know, playing a little song for Merle Haggard because he's dead. And that fucking sucks. So uh, that's our podcast this week. Uh, before we get into it, if, you, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't listened to our one earlier this week with Phil Cook, uh, I, I urge you, go back go back and take a listen to that. It was uh, I sat through the thing. I sat right here talking to Phil Cook, and I listened to it, and I was like, damn, I was entertained. And I, not in a narcissistic way. I mean, I do have a sexy voice sometimes. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, but no, 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 no. No, it, it was a... Uh, He's a, he's a force of, of musical nature, a positive force uh, in the world uh, that, quite frankly, I need more of, and you need more of in your life. So uh, listen to that, listen to Sturgill Simpson's new album, and then come back and hear us uh, share some thoughts. So you ready? You done all that? Uh, here we go. This is episode number 174 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, where we're reviewing the new album by Sturgill Simpson, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. Okay. It happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter. One man leaves. Merely a two-word review. Just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next one. That right there is a wonderful sound. So, uh, yeah, that's... You're going to become a, a, a trap rap superstar. <laughs> that's what I told him. He was saying it's offensive. I'm like, or our ticket to superstardom. There it is. There's a fine line. <laughs> <laughs> Many people are walking right now. Um, 
Another Thursday night. Gentlemen, welcome back to the basement. Uh, Eduardo, you're still down here. Never left, I can't man. get rid of you. I know. <laughs> I know. It's starting to get a little fragrant down here. Uh, but right. uh, and that, that, that right there, you hear Marcus Dowling. Welcome yes, sir. back, sir. Howdy. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about a, uh, I, I think, in the coming weeks, will be a, a quite controversial album here yeah uh, once Sturgill Simpsons uh, a sailor's guide to the earth before that uh, we're gonna get into a little news now we don't often skew local as far as news go I don't think right. uh, but and I think Marcus you would agree with me this could be your town you this know, story it might be it might be my town yeah well I mean it is your town but yeah. but but okay. but but this could be like this happening is your town what I'm talking about is the Howard theater right here in Washington DC it is a historical theater get renovated back in what 2011 2012 yes, it did. um they uh have traditionally hosted back in the day this was yes this is black Broadway this was this is where circuit. yeah this is where the culture coalesced yes um James Brown yeah mm-hmm since relaunching and uh, being acquired by Blue Note um, and being run by Blue Note, we have seen uh, we have seen friends go through there in positions. Uh, we have seen them uh, start. I, I think honestly, they did start with a, a good booking practice, but it quickly fell apart and and complaints of like service and all this stuff. And so, what we're left with right now is they are in debt to the DC government. Correct me if I'm wrong. Three hundred thirty thousand dollars in back taxes um they are not dark uh on nights of the week but they certainly are not filling that room it's a huge and it's a gorgeous room yes Mm -hmm. um and you know this was to be a keystone in the revitalization of like u street right so what do you think is what the fuck's going on marcus okay well um let's 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 be honest here um the Howard Theater is about like four blocks away from the 930 Club. The 930 Club for like seven of the last nine years has been America's number one uh, touring performance venue. So yeah. they mm-hmm. do sellouts, you know, five nights a week. And uh, there's a thing about D.C. that's intriguing in the sense that the population is skewed now away from its traditionally once African-American base towards a, you know, split between white people and black people. And uh, that split, um, when it comes to a place like the Howard Theater, um, which traditionally skews black, and in its rebranding, did not shy away from that very much, we are still the great black. No, but they venue. also didn't commit to it. Right, but, but they did nothing to make you feel like anything was different. Yeah. They did nothing to make you say, oh, we're now inclusive of everyone. Yeah. Like you could you could you could book Dan Deacon all you want, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like and a lot of second right. tier jam bands, right? You right. could do yeah, you <laughs> could do all which, of what, that. Which was the weirdest booking, yeah. Right, but you could do all. It was weird because again, this is yeah. the historic venue attached to Black Broadway, right, right, right. So it's hard when the population base that you expect to draw from is not going to come to your venue when there's also you know like traditional traditionally african-american drawing events that are happening at the Fillmore, yeah. that are mm-hmm. happening at u-haul that are happening mm-hmm. uh you know at the 930 club and all these other spaces so howard theater kind of becomes like this you know sort of left out beautiful space in the midst of all of this mm-hmm. so they're kind of like isolated in a corner and i mean there's ways you could book around that you can book you know latinx and africanx and things like that things that you know trend towards yeah. a very different and specific you know a fan base but they're not doing that. They're still trying to stay competitive within, you know, the realm of, you know, things that people who 
occupy one of two different, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds in DC, you know, are. And that makes it difficult. That makes it very hard for a space like the Howard to succeed. Yeah. Again, when the space that you're ideally competing with is the number one live touring performance venue in America. Yeah, but I mean, as, as we've noted on this show many times before, like the uh, the 930 Club has been, and IMP in general, has been turning more and more into Live Nation. Right. Uh, whether they want to admit oh, it or not, I mean, well, that, that's what's happening. Well, let's be honest, they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we just saw the closing of uh, Bohemian Caverns. Right. Which is a tragedy. Uh, and, you know, with this, I, I, I guess what I'm not getting about I, I, I get the problems because I've been there. Right. I know how bad, like, they're, like you should not pay $40 for a ticket ever and have to pay $10 to sit at the table. Right. Like, uh, that, that, yep. that, that doesn't work. That was a luxury convenience that was built upon the idea that they were going to get African Americans of a certain uh, economic stratus yeah. to be able to come to the venue on a routine basis. And and I get that. And, right. I, and mm-hmm. I get that as a supper club, but it's a live venue. Right. It, it, it is It is very much not, I mean, you, it's HR 57, which right. is also closed. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know, you you go in, you bring your liquor, but you also can sit down and you pay this right. cover-ish, because I don't think you could pay a cover because of liquor laws. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about the Howard Theater. I, I interviewed once to be the marketing director yes. there. That's the thing that wow. really happened in real life. Um, God. Virgo. And uh, it's intriguing in the sense that you get the sense, and I'm not, you know, like, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't know now because there's a whole Washington Post article about it. You can read it. Yes. <laughs> um, the Howard Theater never stopped in the midst of when they first hit the, the skids mm-hmm. to, like, aggressively rebrand themselves. One yeah. of the things I said in my interview, when I interviewed there, was like, you got to aggressively rebrand who you are and who you serve as a venue. Yeah. Aggressively, like run out in the streets and, and wave a flag and say, we are not the Howard Theater that you remember. But they didn't want to do that because they feel like there's such a connection to the historical brand of what the Howard Theater is. Blue Note also runs B.B. King's in New York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and in B.B. King's is a venue that trends away even from being a blues bar. At this point, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've right. had professional wrestling events at PB Kings. <laughs> They'll do anything. They have. Yeah. So, so you've hung out there. <laughs> I, I certainly yeah. have. Exactly. Yeah. So no. So I'll, they've they've trended away from that, and they've but but still, it's that historical branding issue, and right. also it's Washington D.C. being still being considered chocolate city by people. There are people that still mm-hmm. think that D.C. is mainly so, black, and also that it's a that it's a federal town that is recession proof because it's a re- it's a federal town. At no point did anybody ever stop and realize the entrepreneurial spirit and the tech sector growth and the shift in population base in Washington, D.C. Nobody stopped and said, oh, wait, this is what's happening in Washington, D.C. now. So let's shift our focus. So but why can't it be, uh, you know, Chocolate City is a dream. Gone. Much like the the terrible brewery. Sorry, bros. Uh, It is gone. But but why can't it be a place like that? Because, you know, we – on, on a podcast you're going to hear after this, a couple of weeks later, you know, we talked about the uh, relevance of the white male voice in indie rock. Yes. And, and how it, and the, the spoilers, but the conclusion was we came to is it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. So what you're looking at is, uh, you know, the African American music. You're right. looking at, well, just not even African American music, just multicultural music that isn't white right. people. Right. And why can't it be that? I mean, there's enough people in this town to support that it's it's a thing of if you of okay so like top down the management has to agree 
that they know that this is an issue that they should solve in this manner. Yeah. Then the management has to have an understanding of that fan base. They have to willfully decide, okay, we know jack squat nothing about reggaeton, for instance, mm-hmm. but this is a thing that we really want to push into and we're going to like spend some time and hire some people and do some, some market research and do some studies and yeah. figure it out. But there's not enough time. Obviously, when you're $330,000 in <laughs> debt, right, right. you don't have the time to go, oh, well, let's take a three-month market study but, and talk to El Sol and all these other people and figure out who we should book. Well, to me, that's the actual problem is that you shouldn't – when you're running a venue like that, you shouldn't have to do a market study, period. You got to have somebody in there that like feels out, that knows the community, and and they don't. They, but, never, they never have. They never have. And if they did, though, it would. This would be. This would be very, very simple. Now, you you wrote something up on One Love Massive. Yes, I, I did. I'm not even going to pretend to know what you do for them, but I, I think I'm the digital content director, which means okay, so I basically it? facilitate the flow of content to the website, like from editorials to the music updates to updating gotcha. about the events that we do as well. So you, you wrote something to that proposing a bunch of solutions. And one of them that you proposed, which this sort of blows my mind uh, because I don't understand how this works uh, based on my understanding of Red Bull Music Academy, is to have them basically assume responsibility of the Howard. So how does this work? Okay. So the idea initially is to have Red Bull book Red Bull Music Academy for Washington, D.C., for 2018, 2019. Is Red Bull Music Academy reputable? I mean, that, that's, yes, it is. that's what's that's what blowing my mind. It's a thing. Did, like, Ed Redwater, yeah. did you have the same feel? Uh, I, was, I was a little... Yeah, Red Bull Music <laughs> Academy, what they do is they, you know, you get like people from all over the world can apply to, to have a two-week seminar. There are two mm. two-week seminars that take place in a city, a city anywhere around the world. Yeah. Been in Montreal, Durban, wherever, you know, London. And you come into the city and for two weeks you have like top nationally respected artists and producers and engineers and vocalists coming in to work with other vocalists, producers, musicians who have gotten this grant from Red Bull to come to the city and learn about music and improve their craft. So in my mind, what that does is that it gives Red Bull a space now in D.C. They're doing a thing. They're in D.C. Then you pull in, Red Bull comes in and they have to like refurbish Howard somehow. And Red Bull's been active in D.C. for a decade at this point. They've been doing events. They've been gotcha. doing things. And the idea that Red Bull would want to take an active interest in this community because they do so much here to be able to have a venue that they can just plug and play with. I've seen Red Bull events at U Street Music Hall. What yeah. was that space that was on uh, 14th Street further up? What, 9th and Beats? No, it was uh, yeah. not 14th. It, was, it doesn't exist anymore. The Dunes. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Dunes. They did something dunes. at the Dunes. They've done something at all these places, like di- ra- random places, almost seemingly. I, I just, I was not aware of their presence here in D.C. Yeah, as if selected randomly. They'll do stuff at the Fillmore on occasion, wherever. If you give Red Bull a dedicated place where they can always do events in D.C., it's just they want to do so many events here. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, here's a venue. It's the Howard Theater. It's the most, I- one of the most iconic venues in American history. Yeah. Literally in the history of black music, there may be right. no more iconic venue other than like, you know the Apollo Theater, and right, and so and so just to situate this for the listeners who who might not like know DC, so the, it's it's adjacent to what is now a very hip brew pub, which is where Duke Ellington grew up shooting pool, right? Yeah, right, which was owned by like a was it, was it a Polish gangster, yes. or something for many years at yeah. that point um, through Prohibition and after. I mean, this this really does anchor like the heart of what was Black DC, and. It's and I guess what I'm I'm hearing you guys talk and I'm I'm trying to figure out like 
what the way forward is for them because it seems to me like all the kinds of acts that they should be booking are going to like Sixth and I probably. Yeah. Or something like that. Right. I, I don't know if Sixth and I, I, I think they're just not playing. They're just, because well, they can't compete with 930 or Black Hat. But right? they, so. so and, and, and they shouldn't try to. They shouldn't try to be like a third. To me, it's, it's crazy when like Echo Stage books a lot of dance music. And, yeah. And they're yeah. going to Echo Stage, whatever. So like, can, hey guys. Um, they book a lot of dance music and that's their like, it feels like that's the thing that they can run. They also book like Tego Calderon played there. Yeah. Which seems like the most left field booking in the world. Right. And the Howard Theater is this big, giant, 1,500-person space in the middle of U Street that just sits there. And I'm like, well, why can't yeah. you book those acts Well, I mean, part, part of the problem is, and, and they have, and you miss them, and, and you know, stuff just flows, has flown through this place like you just find out about it. Like, there, there isn't any publicity. In fact, I'll call out their, their whoever's handling their PR fucking sucks. Because <laughs> I tried to set up an uh, interview with Vernon Reed of Living Color. Oh, wow. And I... Asked for the contact info. Uh, she not only, and this is going to sound douchey, but she not only did not know who I was, but she also didn't follow up. And so what that amounted to is that instead of going to cover a living color show at their venue, thus getting the venue press, uh, we were down here drinking and podcasting. Well, I'll tell you straight up. They just switched their PR. Yeah, and it might be. Yeah, but, they literally just switched their PR. That's, know, that's part of the problem is they, they but, had so much changeover in the, the four years since they've reopened that it's hard to get any traction because it's right i know i know four different pr people i know yeah i know a couple <laughs> but i mean, but, but, that venue but, I mean it's isn't the cardinal rule of pr if you're representing a client and if their client whether her client their client was the howard or living color is that if somebody says they want to help support this you say yes yeah, but it depends. But it depends on what they're. That's paying. not DC PR. Yeah, I know. But it depends. <laughs> it, de- it depends on what the venue is paying for for PR, or is the venue paying for PR for the venue, or are they paying for PR for the acts to play at the venue? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see your point. But <laughs> I want to, I want to stay on the it's part a, where very, <laughs> I want to stay on the part where we talk about hanging out with Living Color. that's my takeaway. It didn't this. happen. It'll, it'll happen sometime. Like I, I, I now know how to contact him. Yeah, so yeah. and and what I what what anybody uh, venues in case you're listening, what anybody in DC, any press, honestly ever across the country prefers to do is work with your venue. Right. Is you promote your venue and the way you do it, you aren't giving away free tickets to people who sit in the VIP section and don't do fuck all for your venue. You're giving away uh, tickets and passes, photo passes to people who are going to come in and report on that and get eyeballs on your venue. And uh, honestly, there's nobody left in DC that does that. I'll put it like this. The thing that the best PRs do and not, dr- not throwing DC PRs under the bus, because I know all of you and I love all of you. You've all <laughs> have been in, in, in incredibly helpful to my career. So I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but here's the deal. I like working through venue PRs because venue PRs then could be the, the go-between between me and an artist. Yep. And the artist PR may have absolutely no idea who I am, but you know who I am. Exactly. <laughs> you know my work. So it's a little easier that way. Like, that's... um. I, I, that, to me, that just seems to be the, the so. So that's a situation I saw at the Howard Theater, at least. But I, I guess, <clears throat> like, I don't know why. Like, the, why do they have to compete? Like, there's no reason for them to want to book the bands like Nine Thirty Club does. And Nine Thirty would gets pissed off when uh, Rock and Roll Hotel, you know, mm-hmm. books stuff at there because the room is is 
basically they book an act that's too big for uh, Rockland Hotel or DC Nine. Hmm. Um, but why can't they just double or triple down on like you know what Black Broadway is coming back, motherfucker? So when I go to that the uh, the, the store that sells the Go Go CDs around the corner from there. Yeah, which I do about like you know once or twice a year. I'll just yeah. go in and buy a stack of fucking CDs. Got to. The the way I know it's good the is Metro if it's PCS. live. At, yeah, Metro PCS. The way yeah. the way I know it's good, you have to go into that side door. And yeah. The, yeah. So so I know it's good if it's recorded live at Howard. Like that's like those get like priority. Right. Right. Or they used to at least, and then I haven't seen them as much recently. Yeah. So when we talk about DC and competition, yeah. um, there's like one thing that I want to see in DC. I want and this this will never happen. It could happen in this basement even. So yeah. I'll, I'll throw this out. Say okay. it's happening in this basement. I want to get like Seth Hurwitz and like Steve Lambert. Yeah. And like uh, the the Willie Smith. Um, yeah. You know, let's just name some other folks. Like, what's this for naming people? Uh, Dante. Get Dante. Get uh, Luke Brindley. Yeah. Get them. I want them to get them all in this basement and have them all stare at each other in the face. Antonis from my Echo Stage. Are you talking about another <laughs> podcast, Marcus? <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm just talking about your we, podcast. Well, 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 we can pimp. We can pimp the other thing yeah, we're doing yeah, if yeah, you I want. Got this can thing, we do that? I got, yet? Yeah, I got this thing coming called Organic. Organic is sustainable. Um, I'm the host. Uh, we'll be doing it in this basement. Um, Shout out to Bryce, shout out to Random Nerds. That'll be happening. But uh, back to this point, because we yeah. can do this for you. <laughs> so I do this for you, not for me. Right, for right, you right, right. Is I want to be able to get all these guys. You know, I'll never get Lambert over here. <laughs> you know, crazy we'll, things. We'll see, yeah, crazy things. Right. Yeah. So we get everybody in the basement and we, we, get, some, we get some beer. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's shout out to DC Brow or whomever. Yeah. Three, straw, three, three stars. Stri- three stars. Three stars. Yeah. Let's get uh, right somebody. Proper's, right Proper's actually in Brooklyn. Right. right. Or, I mean, I mean, and Pizza's right down the street. Yeah, and Pizza, they, they, yeah. They, yep. they can bring some wine and some, some so, pizza. So we, so we got this thing. We got this thing beveraged and catered. Yeah, we get everybody to stare at each other <laughs> in the, the same room. Yeah, so staring, staring at each other doesn't make for good podcasting. <laughs> well, but, they have, but they'll start talking. I'm certain they will start talking. Yeah. Because you know the, the 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 level of ego in that room will, will force everybody to start talking. Right. So I want everybody in the room to start talking about booking acts. Yeah. Because everybody knows the rates for everybody else, and everybody yep. understands the size of everybody else, and everybody knows everybody else's flaw. It's the only way that DC will work is if everybody got together and it was like, okay, so you do this, I do that, you do that, I do this. And it's it, that's the only that's the only solution. But, but so, so at this point, because everybody, if you don't do that, then we end up with the situation we have right now, where everybody's angry at each other and nobody really likes each other. So does and, it does it require then though that we do that and and somebody comes in from Howard and people like essentially like Stephen Fitzsusan? Can, we'll, can, we'll can, can, can you respect what we do at the Howard? And and understand we're not well, part of your let's ecosystem Steve down here too. Steve no, but, but what I'm sa- what I'm yeah, saying is is like I, I like your solution. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. But what what I'm saying is 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 at some point, you know, especially three hundred thirty thousand dollars in debt, like they they I I I just don't see why they have to compete with this when there it, is so much. All the jazz clubs are gone. It's DC. They are man. gone. Blues Alley is what? What's left? Blues Alley and what else? I was gonna say like I, this. This conversation is making me Tacoma really Station. worried about Blues Alley. Tacoma yeah. Station. Yeah. yeah. So so tiny clubs. So yeah. that's all gone. Right. Where the fuck are they gonna play in the DC? Lincoln. <laughs> no, they are not. Playing. <laughs> you just, you just, because <laughs> you know they are. You know they are. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. They will never get booked at a place like. Hey, that. Jules playing at the Lincoln. Yeah, Jules playing at the Lincoln he, tonight. He, because Jules was in the nineties. Like <laughs> we had an invite and we turned it down. I'm sorry, Jules. <laughs> Our time is done. Um, 
It's uh, it's but it's, but you see my point is yeah, like I see your point. it's like why can't they? I mean, it is a big stage. You get rid of honestly, get rid of the fucking dinner service. Get rid of whatever fees. Get rid of the fancy drinks. Make it like a, make it like a big ass jazz club. Somebody has to come in. Okay, so I mean, like I mean, if you want to do that, you can just book Thundercat to play. Uh-huh. He's relevant. Yeah. I mean, Kamasi Washington is uh-huh. relevant. You know. It was played there, and it was amazing. And right. and when he plays there, when they book stuff like that, that place is packed. Right. So I mean, you just we just I think that what we're saying, um, Kalani could play there, and Janae Aiko could play there, and all of yes. that. Yes. So um, have Esperanza Spalding do like a residence there. There you yes. go. There you well, go. Yeah. That's, do it like. Yeah. And interesting, you said residence because one thing they said uh, when they were talking about it, they were like they mentioned the Strathmore. They're like, oh well, we have a Strathmore, and like. You have, you know who who gets booked as no 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 bust on the Strathmore, but it's culturally it's very different. I love I love Cristal's bacon, yes, and I love Mary Alouette, yes, but they are very different artists <laughs> yes. from Esperanza Paulding yes. and Nico and all these kinds of people. Yes, yeah. that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and I, lo- I love you, Mary Alouette, and I love you, Cristal's bacon. I yeah, know. I think it. So it's notable to me that. Uh, Today was the Nationals' home opener, and yes. as they do every year for their home opener, they find some excuse to play Bust and Loose, which I'm all for at Nationals yeah. Park. Yes. But it's a little weird that that's like, that you, when you imagine like who's at the game <laughs> and how often they actually listen to Go-Go, right? And just in general, the kind of the whiteness of well, baseball and, as an institution. And, and, and that's getting into a whole different thing that we need to talk about at some point in this podcast, and we need to get Chris down here. Of course. Chris Richards to talk about this, because... You know, all the go-go, I was actually in an Uber talking about this with somebody. All the go-go has been pushed out to PG County. You yep, can't go yep. see it. Uh, I will not profess to having been gone to see a lot, but like I, I remember seeing um, Chuck Brown on the National Lawn. Yeah, and, that was the thing that happened, and it was yeah. it was one of the most amazing things that happened because you're walking. I mean, this used to be our neighborhood in Capitol Hill, and we just walked up there, and you have. People from every single walk of life, not just because it's the mall, but because it's Chuck fucking Brown. Yeah. And, and, and more importantly, because of that music. And, you know, you had people who were like dyed in the wool, go go fans dancing. You had like ridiculous white girls dancing. Mm-hmm. You had, but, but everybody was just That's... getting the fuck down. And to me, that, that's when I was like, Okay, DC is home. You know, it's weird as you say that because, like, I can't imagine that you can't book, like, Dave Grohl and Friends, <laughs> yeah, Rare yeah. Essence, yeah. and, like, Nag Champa at the, <laughs> at, at the Howard Theater. That's not impossible. That's not an no. impossible thing to book. I mean, yeah, it's nice to have Dave Grohl at RFK Stadium, you know, but you can't do that at the, the Howard Theater right. and, and tape it and right. put it on. I mean, you know, do whatever you want with that footage. So, so is it is, is I think we should wrap this up and get yeah, it, sure. get get into uh, get into what we what we came here to do today. Uh, <laughs> hey, but <brother>. but uh, <laughs> so it, is is it uh, the answer is just somebody needs to like give a fuck. Yeah, somebody with somebody preferably who has three hundred and thirty thousand fucks to give. All right. <laughs> There you go. That's the final word from Marcus Dowling. Uh, you guys listen, ready to listen to some fucking country? Hell yeah. All right. Let's do it, boy.
Brace for impact, motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, that, that is uh, Brace for Impact, uh, sung by one Sturgill Simpson. Uh, this is off of his third album, A Sailor's Guide uh, to Earth. You know, right behind me right now is a big uh, Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music poster. Uh, it's a beautiful image. Yes, it is. Uh, when that album came out, I remember I saw uh, Chris Richards wrote up an article in the thing I said in the post and I said, yeah, I, I dig that. And he was sort of was playing that night at Gypsy Sally's of all places for the communion series. Very low key. He was traveling by himself and everything. And we tried to set something up then. And in the meantime, I had, had uh, asked his PR to send me the album and we went and saw him and he was amazing. He played with uh, a band, a DC band who's no longer in DC, but that's okay because they sucked. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a good pairing. Um, and uh, came home and listened to uh, Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music and laughed myself silly because it was so badass. It was, I am somebody who is, I, I grew up listening to country music. I mean, my, my aunt and uncle owned half of a fucking mountain. Yes. Not, not in the rich sense. They, they just owned land on the mountain. They built a house. They put a grandmother on it. And I mean, it was... It was country. It was out in Bedford, and it was it was gorgeous. And I, to this day, I regret I didn't get out there enough. Um, but that album brought back not the authentic country as much as just memories of that, you know, good songwriting and stuff. Right. So what happened with that is that everybody felt that that album was fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, Sturgill Simpson blew up. Mm-hmm. And he uh, toured the world. And he went crazy touring the world. And uh, <laughs> no, a little bit, a little bit. No, I mean, he, he was a little salty about it. Uh, you know, at, but at the end of this tour, he uh, ended up signing with Atlantic Records. So, from essentially uh, a relative unknown in music, uh, although he had his fans, I forget now the name of his first band. Uh, they were quite good, uh, but uh, it's what turned into Sturgill Simpson. Okay. And, right. and, uh, to to that that point, uh, everything like all his professional dreams at least came true. You know, some say he sold out. We're gonna get into that, <laughs> but you know, but he went from being this this immense outsider to all of a sudden being the, the one of not the country, biggest country star, one of the biggest stars in the land, and on a major label for a two album deal celebrated by NPR and Slate and that whole yeah. you know 
Good. Yeah. In fact, like he played the tiny desk. There was this. This is how weird the pickup was. He played a tiny desk, and there was maybe thirty people there. Oh. Uh, and if you listen to it, you can hear Daria laughing like at the end. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we knew a follow up had to come. Obviously, he's on a major label. Uh, this was something I, I know at least I was dreading a little uh, because what often happens when you jump to a major label uh, – well, shit happens when you jump to a major label. You know, I don't have to explain it. You know, If you like music, you understand this. In fact, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably like an indie rock fan or outlaw. You, maybe you paint yourself as that. And uh, so here we are with The Sailor's Guide to Earth and you know that last song. I, I'll just I'll start off with this and then, and then give it to you guys. Uh, that's about as mainstream country as you fucking come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who, who, wants to, who wants to get in on this first? Oh. I'll start off. All right. There are two things. It's um, it's funny you mention that because there's like one artist that has absolutely minimal. I mean, if you understand the lineage of 70s rock and outlaw country and how, where they melded somewhere in the 80s, then if I right. say that this record reminded me a lot of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers records, yep. then that'll make sense. And so uh, the first thing I think of when you th- we gave that intro was Into the Great Wide Open. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally the moment when, you know, in the video, Which is, Johnny Depp's character, like, signs that major label deal, yeah. and, oh boy. Well, not only that, and the, and, the, and the Tom Petty music, because Tom Petty was never country, but he certainly was pulling from country influences, of the birds, yeah. birds and stuff, and, and, was. and Tom Petty at that point, uh, especially, like, leading up to uh, Wildflowers, I think was was the culmination of yeah. what he's done. Uh, gorgeous album. I. I, I feel weird saying like if you haven't heard Wildflowers, uh, go. But but really, I'll no, put the link in the show notes. There are some kids it's out there who haven't. It's a fucking heard it. phenomenal yeah. album. Yeah. But uh, you know that was the, I guess the evolution of true country right. when you got to that point. Exactly. And uh, secondly, I'll say this about the record. I uh, took this note. Um, said. At worst, this album is a step above Blues Brothers pastiche. <laughs> at best, at best, it's where pop loving pop loving Southern boys go to shine. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's good. So, uh, Eduardo, what do you that's, think? Yeah. Um, so we all I have a lot of should... notes, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. So I took notes, which I never take notes. <laughs> oh shit! You took notes. I took notes. Holy <laughs> fuck! Um, Damn, we were. T- <laughs> I never take notes. I know you don't. But I had to for this. The All right. So so one thing that we haven't really talked about is like the way is the press this album is getting, much of which is is taken from the from the the press release. Um and the background which is that this is an album that's essentially a, a song cycle that forms a letter to his uh newly born son. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's spoken about, he spoke to the New York Times about the fact that Elvis was a much bigger influence on him than than most old, old school country. And so you kind of do the math there and assume that he's trying to, he's channeling the music of his youth to speak to his newly born son. Right, right? Which, which is beautiful. Is the, I mean, the, which is the, a nice sentiment, yeah, yeah, hard, yeah, to, yeah. Hard, to, hard to ding on. No, man, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's fucking it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Um, which so so that's a different like that's important to know but that doesn't mean that the album has to be successful right right, right. artistically mm-hmm. um conceptually it's 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 ambitious it's bold it's i think you have to like it i think i think that i think that's everything i've just said is like the most charitable 
take I can put on the album, which is that um, this is this is a very uh, emotionally charged moment for him, and he's just he's basically saying like I got to throw out the rule book because my life just changed in ways that I can't right possibly begin to describe, and nothing I've done up to this point is good enough, and so I have to do this whole other thing right. And it definitely is a whole other <laughs> thing. Okay. okay, so to me, then I, I want to find A and R that was behind this record and yes. just punch that person in the face repeatedly. <laughs> wow! Just like wow! Like repeat. Like I'm this. There's points in this record that like infuriated me to mm-hmm. the point where I was like, blood was coming out of my eyes. Well, in the New York Times article, Sturgill Simpson says he don't care. I know he yeah. don't care, and I'm 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 cool with that. <laughs> he, he said, uh, "I'm just going to write a record from a kid, and if people hate it." It well, doesn't well matter. you know why? Because the check, the check, the check cleared. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a big check. It's a big fucking check. <laughs> okay, so, okay, like, so if you say you're inspired by Elvis, it, there, there's two different Elvises here. There's Elvis that's like, I got the record of the full album and I put the platter <laughs> on my record player, <laughs> and then there's like, I went to say I'm goody, like I did. And got like three different copies of three different best of Elvis, Elvis compilation Elvis albums. Yeah. <laughs> and like the best things you love are like the live recordings from Vegas. Yeah, when he had yeah, the yeah. like, when he had the like Dap Kings meets Dusty and Memphis, Muscle Shoals. Yeah, because the Dap Kings are on this record. I yeah, mean, like, Andrews, that, and we're, we're going to hear the, them that's in a little the, bit. Yeah, but, that's, that, but that's the Moon Over Troubled Water. Yeah, there's, um, yeah. That, there's that triangle. Bridge, Bridge Over Troubled Water, sorry. Yeah, there's yeah, that triangle there. There's yeah. that Dap Kings, like... Muscle Shoals, mm-hmm. yep. Memphis, like triangle there. That definitely comes when you listen to like Elvis' greatest hits compendiums, and you get to that point in the greatest hits where they had like access to all of his like great songs from his Vegas run, and you listen to all those, and they just sound cool because everything about Elvis of Vegas is really cool. Yeah, makes no sense again, just like most of his record. Elvis of Vegas makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Why is he doing karate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, to bring, right. to bring up a, a point I, I, that, like, because I think I think what's going to happen here, real quick, is we we have to like divide this into two conversations. Yeah, one about the songs on the album, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. one about the album as a whole. Right. And and I I will throw out, and we can come back to this point. Uh, the album as a whole is a fucking mess. It is. It is a. Uh, you know it, he so in need of a producer or somebody to sit down and be like tonally none of this makes sense and i understand you don't give a fuck but you know this is this is a really weird thing to put out and i don't say that as somebody who needs some normalcy in my life at all i say that (laughs) i say that as somebody i mean fucking we're we're podcasting a cat is sleeping behind eduardo Uh, he is so comfortable back there cat who when the songs we're gonna play I would sing that song to him. So that's how little normalcy I need in my life. Right. But, but, but it, you know, talk about like the album as a whole and then the tracks and and it's such a huge divide and a a disparity between like what could have happened and what should have happened. And you're mentioning Elvis, but uh, I don't know if you guys have kept up with vinyl. But yes. the, the HBO show. So Sturgill Simpson did the vinyl uh, theme song. Of course he did. Uh, Sugar Daddy is the name of the song. And I finally listened to the whole song, and it's fucking amazing. How it did not end up on this album, I have no clue. But that might be pro- part of the problem. Because the last episode of vinyl I saw was Elvis. Right. Like, hmm. And, you know, it's... 
let's tackle. I I think the over encompassing album mess we 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 hit. So let's let's tackle the songs first. You you get into uh you know like the song we just played it is pretty standard country, but you know uh, the song we're gonna end up playing pretty quick here. Uh, Welcome to Earth is a classic. You can see George Jones singing this song. Uh, you can see uh, Conway Twitty singing this song. You, the the seventies. I, I hate to say the uh, uh, hee circuit bands, but uh, you know you can even see Glenn Campbell singing. Yeah, this. yeah, mm-hmm. um, especially Glenn. You know when there was an overdrive of of schmaltz in country uh, that was televised, right? Like this wasn't like this. It 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 was. I, I am starting to think he was on records because it was televised, because they were like, "Well, you can't just go up there and sing, boy. You gotta, you gotta put a, a symphony behind you, man." Right, and so, and so showmanship becomes a I'm factor. Almost, right. I'm almost positive then that he down he's either downloaded or purchased all of the country classics collection from Time Life um, music, <laughs> which I did, and I heard this and I'm and all of those songs just like flew yeah. into my head. Yeah, and there's uh, nothing wrong with that. I'm saying there's absolutely nothing no, wrong with that. No, no, there were, there, but that's an era of music that is crystallized in in time. It's by, crystallized in time, and it, and it really, I, I think, in certain parts of the world, like essentially the South, uh, it it reflected. You know, you could have. I don't know what the term for it would be, but like you know, your country tuxedo, aspirational like music. You, you know what I'm saying? It, you know the guy who wears the uh, the pale blue tuxedo to prom, right? right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And is all into that, you know, feeling stuff. So, well, there's okay. So, so if we're talking about the the kind of the album as a whole, I think I think where um, there's there's this vibe of um, uh, Kevin. You alluded to this a little bit. There's this there's this guy Fred Eaglesmith who was kind of a minor singer songwriter, alt country guy. He's Canadian. Mm-hmm. He sold like one song to Garth Brooks, and up until that point, he. Oh basically tour his tours were like him and a guitar right. he sold that one song to garth brooks and his shows got weird like he had backup <laughs> singers and like it just became this grand spectacle because all right. of a sudden did he, he get signed mind. um i don't know i don't know that he's released anything in a while i think he might have but i mean but i mean did the backup singers come because somebody signed him and said oh shit yeah you, you got a thing so we're gonna sign you oh you need to have these I, I don't think so. I think they were they were very much his his vision, and so that's what this reminds me a little bit of. Is that kind of like, all right, well, I have some freedom. I can do my thing. Like I want to do this crazy jumble of a mess. Um, what what I think what I can't get away from is the fact that like there are good songs on this album. Um, as a like, there's no reason for them to be shoehorned into this concept and into this like side A side B right. Kind of because that flow does not work, and then and like one of which the, is he, it's a first listen on NPR right now, yeah, as and one track, as one track, yeah. and they yeah. said it said per the artist request. Yeah. That's how we received it as a promo, yes, right. Uh, which was we had the individual tracks, but they said you know also here's side A and side B as the artist intended, which I don't care who you are, that's douchey as fuck. Well, he may it, well it, it may be it may clue into the fact that he actually was listening to records, so I might actually oh, I'm be sure wrong. He was. I'm sure I he was. I might. Actually, I, be wrong. He might actually applaud, have all these. But you can't. Albums. You can't dictate like in yes, twenty sixteen. No, in twenty sixteen, you 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 can dictate. You can do whatever you want on the inside. Kanye West can make a can make an art, <laughs> well, al- make right. an art album. <laughs> okay, and and release. And and hit, and asked people and, on Twitter whether or not he wants to to release like <laughs> brand new versions of songs they already as, have. As usual, you're right, but but <laughs> but 
But what I'm saying is like you shouldn't. I know. Uh, well, if you if you do it right, if you do it right, if you do an album that's an organic whole, like this is what happens to me with like to pimp a butterfly. Like if I hear one song off of it, I have to hear the entire album. Right, but Kendrick right. Kamar never said, you know what? Exactly. If you don't listen to this it's, all the way through, then it's you because suck. the album was artistically successful that I yes. view it as a whole. Yeah. And you show me one piece of it, and I'm like, I need to see the whole, and I need to experience the whole, yeah. no matter how long it takes and how exhausting it is. Um, when you start telling people to do that, and especially so, so here's what's really fucked up is that 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 early um, advanced side A, side B, um, we didn't have track listings. So no. when so when in bloom comes on, and I have it on, and I'm like cleaning the house or doing yeah. something, and I stop and I'm like, is that? Am I hearing? Is this is this yes. really happening? I, I described in bloom as turgidly great. <laughs> Well, <laughs> like, 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 I used a four-letter word, and it wasn't, no, it wasn't, it wasn't. I, <laughs> but it's like it's in bloom. But okay, so like, I I compare all great country covers of songs to Johnny Cash's Hurt. Ever since Johnny okay. Cash's Hurt came out, every other country artist that will cover <sighs> a modern grunge alt pop song, sure. you have to hit the Hurt standard. You do. You just. You just do. Well, you do. Except. Except for like. First of all, uh, let me preface this by saying my notes. Uh, this I'm reading <laughs> verbatim on this song are fuck period this period song period. <laughs> and and the reason is that is so he he covered uh, the promise, the promise. Well, when in Rome song and it felt organic. It was lovely. It, it yeah. was lovely, and it was and that was unexpected. Right for this to show up, I I don't care how many times he says it in the press. I don't care how many releases I get about it. I will never believe that someone at Atlantic didn't say, you know what? You're pretty good at covers, man. Why don't you cover Nirvana? And I know it's in his wheelhouse, and I know like that somebody is sort of smart because they knew like what they were dealing with. But I'll never believe that he consciously put this – because for me, this derails almost his entire career because after that, I cannot take him seriously because – it's so bad. I'll put it like the other thing that got me is that it was probably not even in the fact that it was in Stuart's wheelhouse. It was in the fact that it was in that ANR's Netflix, Netflix queue. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, so it's like, and, oh. And we're saying all this. Yeah. We're saying all this. And, you know, legitimately, uh, and if if anybody in, in if Sturgill's listening, like, you know, Brother. Please, please tell us to fuck off because, <laughs> yeah. because, I don't want to suggest that you don't really feel this, like as an artist, but how it plays is that you don't really feel that. So it doesn't matter how he feels about it. It doesn't matter how like people making the album. It feels false. It feels marketed. It feels like, well, we have to now reach out to something. And, and that is the very opposite of what uh, people – I, I won't even say what, what we expect from him because I don't expect shit from him. I expect him to like maybe make good music. But what he was marketed as and the the wave he rode was you know the savior of country music, which is bullshit. I mean yeah, right, country right. music never right. went away. It doesn't need saving. But that's just how it plays. I mean, am I right? And, he's, and, he, and right. He's, he's one of six country artists that will get a feature in Slate this year, right? Yeah. The other five being yeah. like probably Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves, Jason Isbell. You know, I'm trying to Chris think of Stabling. like, yeah, right. And there'll be right. some ironic piece written about Florida, Florida Georgia line. There you <laughs> go. 
why they're actually better than you think. There you right? go. <laughs> that's the slate pitch. I'll, I'll write it. Of course. You know, that's what I do. I want them down here so bad. contrarian. That's what I do. Well, and, and that's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. You said you mentioned the contrarian thing, and I want to get on the contrarian point. We dig deeper into this album here. Uh, right now, I want to play a song that I actually, you know, you can say what you want. This is a little disjointed, what you're about to hear, but, uh, as as a sap, and I think maybe Eduardo, you might agree with me here. We, we're addicted to rom coms a little bit. Oh yeah, we watch them. Big and, fan. And so our blood pumps a little uh, less, of, <laughs> like a little sappy. It's a little, a little yeah. slower there. So so th- this actually hit me. Uh, so so uh, you know, Mr. Simpson, thank you for writing a song that I can sing to my cat.
so so welcome to Earth, uh, Pollywog. I just uh, cuddled up with Gus because <laughs> no, he's not. He's actually cuddled up on Eduardo. Yeah, he's uh, he's yeah, betraying buddy. me. Um, you know <laughs> that is a very sweet and that is a very uh, genuine. I think uh, ode to his song uh, to his son, and that the, things like that happened in the seventies. All. Even even the bifurcation of the song into you, you have this huge string section mm-hmm. that is like on you know like Conway Twitty comes out maybe he's on Lawrence Welk even you there know. it is and and you know it has the string orchestra behind him and it's a big presentation and he's in some weird suit you haven't seen him in before but the the song is so big the hair the yeah hair. the hair is so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got that he's got that white guy afro going and, and so so everything is so everything is just so big. So you so to make sure you fucking feel it, man, and it that that happened. I, I if you like if you're old like me, you you know that happened. You might not believe it, but search the internet. That happened. So he gets all the respect for referencing that part of of his upbringing. He's not that much younger than me. So you know he's late thirties. So he's about okay. your age. Okay. About your age. Yeah, he's so, my yeah, age. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you got uh, the tail end of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was it was simultaneously glorious and horrifying, <laughs> um, uh, much like that track. Uh, but going through these tracks, then you know, this is if that's the first song on the album, this is the tone that that we want set for the album. Yes, we want this excess. We want this uh, this blowout of seventies. Not even like there's not there's not drugs involved. There's maybe some champagne, right? You know, no, there's just there's yeah. just fucking like good old family time, like singing country and stuff, and that's great. And and it never, to my mind, lives up to that promise. You go through uh, Breakers Roars, the second song. It's a little more traditional. It's a nice song. Yeah, it yeah. is a nice song. Sets up uh, the nautical themes of the album, which right, the album right. is. You know, he was in the Navy. Right, which uh, I guess we should talk about. He went to Japan. <laughs> he went to hey. well, yeah. yeah. He, he he went all over the world, and yeah. and he's pretty angry about it. Judging from all his songs, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, war does things to a man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't continue now. <laughs> um, you know, but you get to a song like uh, what should be a uh, a standard country banger is "Keep It Between the Lines." Uh, there's a the oddity of that it plays like, you know, Sonia curfews at 11. And again, this, mm-hmm. this plays into his intended, like what the album should be about. Like it's, it's all about talking to his son and telling him these things. The problem with that is it's, it's platitude after platitude after platitude and not yeah. quite, not quite as, as inventive as anything on the last album. I think that's a key point is that lyrically there aren't any real like shots to the dome here. The way yeah. you get like, on the opening of Meta Modern Sounds, yes. where you're just like, I'm listening to a different kind of country record. Yeah, on Turtles all. And anybody right. can easily respond right now and be like, "Well, you write a song, motherfucker." Like we don't write songs; we talk about them. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> right. say I'll say this about the songwriting on this record. Um, I don't see like where there's like a lot of other songwriters credited. I mean, excuse me if I'm wrong here. No, no. But um, somebody else had to be in the room. That's all I'm gonna say. No, I can't. I, uh, I can't imagine that the same guy that made that record, yeah, the Metamonic Towns, <laughs> like right, he got, did not. He was not unless he like consciously well, decided like. And I don't think that he's like a a 
a prince level creative where he can like literally step out of his own body and go into another body for a record and make a whole album of music that's like under the cherry moon. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm gonna come back to myself. I don't I as as great as an artist I think he is, yeah, yeah. I don't think that that's him. No. No, he's not. And and that that is also one of the confusing things as we as we go through the songs yeah. is that is like you said it up front, Eduardo, ambition is key here. The ambition is extraordinary. The the gall yeah. of anybody to be like, you know what I'm going to do. But I what what I uh, postulate and I have no inside knowledge of this, no way of knowing this, is that and I admire him for this too, obviously is that he is a contrarian of the highest order. And what he saw is is he had the success doing this thing that he loved doing, and then it got him what he wanted. But, like, he's only signed a two-album two deal with Atlantic. Right. So this is not, like, a lifetime of stuff. So he's right. like, you know, maybe, you know, as soon as he got good at this one thing, he's like, F- yeah, fuck this, which, valid. Well, so, so my my hope for what for this like my hope is that in ten years we'll be talking about this album the way we talk about season two of The Wire. Yes, which yeah. is that it's totally out of character for the show. It radically expands the universe of the show. But as people were watching it when it was happening, they were like, "What the fuck is happening yeah. this season? Where are yeah. all the characters that I like? Yeah. This is not the show I signed on for, right?" And so, and so, you know. Given time and some distance, you can look back on season two and say, and and there are now many season two apologists, right? So, so that that's my hope is that this is not like a new branch. It's just he stepped over to the side for this one album, and then he'll get back in line. And but kind you of say do the side, thing. but like what? I mean, look, we have no right to expect him to do anything a certain way. You know, I mean, what I think what we're talking about, like more so than like critiquing something, is saying like whatever you were trying, like just didn't work well, mm. right? It's the thing. Um, it's funny. I was riding in a car with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and um, she has no idea that I like I like Creed. They're one of my favorite bands. <laughs> I didn't bands. either. And, uh, there you go. You're welcome. Wow, that's a, welcome. that's like, that's an exclusive uh, chunky, like, <laughs> chunky like G revelation. A lot. <laughs> and and you mean not the movie? <laughs> no, I like like Scott Stapp yeah. standing up yep, like yep, like yep. like, oh, like wow. standing up in Christ pose. Yeah, I, that's that's my stuff. Nice. So I was randomly playing a bunch of Creed on Spotify, and she was very concerned about me. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I'm the same guy that writes about dance and pop and all this other stuff. Yeah. But I get the sense that maybe on this record, he just, like, stopped and went into his head and, like, pulled out the big box of, like, 70s music that I listened to with my mom. And I sat in front yeah. of the TV and watched. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just going to dig through all of that stuff and... I'll pull this out and I'll pull that out and I'll pull out this other thing. And then by the time he pulled out so much, he had like way too much to dig through. And it's hard to put that together and make it like a cohesive album. Unless you get another producer in, which he did not do. Right, right. He needed a reducer. He needed a Rick Rubin. Uh, he... <laughs> <laughs> Is that a job now? Yeah. I apply for that. <laughs> I, I reduced this album. <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah. It, it, you know, and and we haven't even got to which I guess we should the the uh, military themes of this album. Yes, yeah. uh, this is you know country yeah, music yeah. is known for supporting uh, wars, not not just the troops. They always support the troops, but in reality, a lot of country music like was it Toby Keith like you know fuck you, I'm American. Stick a boot in your ass, yeah, the American yeah, yeah, way. exactly, right? yeah. So so for this, uh, you know, he definitely 
takes the stance, especially on the last song, uh, the track Call of Arms, uh, the stance of essentially fuck all, you know, it's it's a very political song and like all this is bullshit is all this bullshit's got to go. I think is one of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that permeates throughout the album. It just, it just pops up in songs like here and there. Um, and it's a, again, a very weird stance to take given that this is a guy who enlisted, he was not drafted into the military and, and that doesn't make his, his, perception or what he wants to say about it any less valid but as as a form of protest if that's what it is and that gets into my like i wonder if he's just like a contrarian of the highest order well you'd have to be to end a letter to your son with uh (laughs) by the way fuck the army (laughs) right i mean that's the like son life is but a dream god is all around you love is everywhere go find it do your thing yeah be you don't be too bad be a little bad also, <laughs> P.S. Sincerely, your dad. Right? P.S. Fuck the unless army. like, like just, unless right. there's that notion of like him and listening to the and listening to the army. I don't know this either. I don't have any insider knowledge. Was like one of those things in his life where he's like, I wish I hadn't made that move. Yeah. No. Yeah, right, uh, no. Right. It, it could very much be that. But but yeah, right. but at that uh, doesn't I, it go in the middle of the album then as like a learning lesson? Oh no, so you that's can end that's the biggest. I think that might be his biggest. <laughs> that's, the, that's, well, the, that's the punctuation maybe, point. Maybe that's the maybe this is, maybe this is the major label <laughs> touch on this because you know if you're putting a, if you, if you just pull this song out, you have no context and stuff. It's a fucking rocker, right? And I dig it. Yeah. Like I know yeah. you don't, Eduardo, but I but I dig the song. I'm like. Yeah, I am down with you, motherfucker. Fuck the man. Yeah, so, th- yeah this yeah, is bullshit. I, I, but at, when it comes at the end of this song cycle, it's it is just like it's jarring and it makes no sense and and it just it feels weird. It plays like a song. So so you know when when an album that you love gets like the deluxe reissue treatment. Yes, and you listen to it for the first time, and and the album that you know and love ends, and then some other song starts that yeah. just happens to have been recorded by the band at the same time, but right. doesn't fit in with the album. Yeah, that's what this song plays <laughs> yeah. like. Except it's on the original. Ver- like yeah, you know, yeah. like it's it, it it plays kind of like a song that they just recorded, and they were like, well, it should be on the album somewhere. So let's just let's just but. But it is like I have so many thoughts about this song, and I could I could do one line, I, could, I could do one liners about we're, it. For a long we're gonna time. break the record so, now. So so this song is what should play. All right, here's here here's here's how this song works. It should be if you're making Bizarro Rocky in like alternate universe Rocky Four. Oh, this is the Living in America. Holy shit! This is this is what amazing. Oh my in, god! Like, in like alternate universe Rocky. Sturgill comes out, and, <laughs> yes. and, and before Apollo fights um, Clubber Lang, no, Drago, Drago, Drago. Drago. Right, right. Before that fight, you get Sturgill saying "fuck the army" in front of a big American flag, and the song is done with all the tackiness, all the bombast of that of right. the patriotic stuff that irks us so much. Like that's 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 where this song needs to be cast. So <laughs> that's my, I'm done. That's great. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do after that. Oh my god, that's amazing. Uh, you really thought about this, didn't you? I spent a lot of time thinking about this song. You could also have so if you're a, if you're an up and coming honky tonk uh, jam band and and you're looking for like a new kind of set closer that you really want to stretch out, you do this song until li- uh, life during wartime by the Talking Heads. There it is. You go back and forth. You can actually sing verses of life during wartime over this, and it sounds perfect. The chorus works with the horns. Like, oh my just God. do that. People will be dancing and losing their minds for about 15 minutes, and boom. 
There's nothing I can really say. That's incredible. I think Eduardo just dropped the mic. That's the greatest explanation ever. <laughs> Jesus. So, uh, yeah. So, so Marcus, what, what what would you suggest people do with this album? What are you going to do with this album? God, just just stream it. Yeah, just, just just stream it. If if you really like, if you've never heard country music a day in your life, yeah. if country music exists in the, in the in the realm of like that one time your mom listened to Randa Lambert while you were in the car, <laughs> and your roommate likes Casey Musgraves, this is a record for you to listen to because it will open you up to every single influence. Or you could just go listen to Mo- Casey Musgraves. Oh, I mean, always that's always that's Kevin, to that's Casey Kevin's Musgraves. default setting. Yeah. Always always listen <laughs> to Casey Musgraves. But if you need to like know who. Hank Williams was. If you need to know who Willie Nelson was, Conway Twitty. Not Waylon because he never heard him. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, you, just, you, name, you, name, you name all of them. If you ever need to listen to, you know, Vegas Elvis, uh, Tom Petty, ELO, Traveling Wilburys, there's a whole list of acts that are all somehow referenced in this record. Yeah. And if, you, if you've never heard any of this stuff before in your life, I just tell you to stream this record on, uh, you know, gosh... The, the NPR first listen because it's not up on Spotify yet. It is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it'll be up on Spotify. It'll be up on Spotify out. when this comes out. You'll yes. have one day. Yes. It'll be up on thir- this will be up on Thursday and then Friday the album. Comes good, out. good, good, good. Eduardo, what are you gonna do? Um, I don't think you can pass on this because it's just too. It's too like it has to be heard. Yeah. And and you know it 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 deserves a listen. Um, uh, I'm not gonna buy it because I don't because it's not quite the Sturgill that, uh. That I know and love, although I could imagine again. So is that is that a thing? Like usually, I mean, we're we're doing a Patrick now. We're going to talk during the uh, yeah, the <laughs> yeah, right, right. We're but but, but is that a thing? Because that, that's something that we didn't talk about. Like it's like to me, any artist, it's not. It, I don't think it's fair to say like it's not the X Y Z. I know and yeah, love. Right. Is well, that a thing a, with you? It's uh, uh, so so. I can't speak to whether it's fair or not, but I can just say that you know that. Sturgill may well be a multifaceted person and he may and there may even be a part of what he's doing here that I think will result in a successful album down the road. Um this this isn't quite it for me. Um I think there are some great songs on here. I think in in a few years he can put some of these on a live album like you can kind of play this out imagine like in 30 yeah. years he's singing it to his kid who has a kid of his own or something like there's a there's like layers within layers here of what of what you can do with something this heartfelt. I just don't think it works that well as an album, so yeah. I can't I can't say buy it. But I think yeah. everyone should stream it and listen to it. Yeah, I, I'm also going to stream it. I am a I'm a streamer with the thing that I, I'm a little let down by it because I I think uh, High Top Mountain and uh, his last album worked perfectly as as sort of a duo. Um, it yeah. it highlighted a lot of facets of his songwriting, and while this does certainly highlight some facets that we haven't seen yet of his songwriting uh those two albums came together as complete works and not just a collection of like things that i'm doing and not there was no pretense there was no nothing like that and and look you know i get it like nobody knows what this guy is experiencing right now had his had his mind blown but yeah at the same time uh that doesn't always make for good art, right. and in this case, I think it Spot made on. it made for interesting art. Uh, but you know, I I'll stream it, and I and that's about where I'm at. You know, still love country though, man. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Simpsons, uh, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. Uh, this was an impassioned talk, gentlemen. Of course. Uh, and uh, I expected it as much. I, I expected this was going to be this is going to be heavy. Not not heavy like some things we do, but it was just going to be like a big thing, you know. And if if you stuck with us till the end and you're still like confused, you know, listen to it yourself. <laughs> like seriously, go out and listen to it. I I will cert- I will definitely say. Not meta modern sounds of country music. Go back and listen to High Top Mountain. Yeah, you want to hear you want to yeah. hear the guy at his purest. Like that that is such a fantastic album. And uh, and, and and I'll cop to like it, it wasn't like I was on it and then it was like yeah man I got there first. You know it was like I listened to that after I heard meta modern sounds. Such is the press cycle. Right. <laughs> um, we uh, we usually play a track by an unknown artist. A um, local artist maybe a smaller artist uh but this week this won't come out until next week so but this time wise what i'm gonna say isn't gonna make sense but this week we lost a legend and and somebody who means uh their music at least means a lot to me uh talking about merle haggard uh you want to talk about something sturgill simpson was pulling from Mm -hmm. uh was a lot of merle haggard uh you know who are the great songwriters of of the you know, sixties and seventies. You had Paul Simon and Neil Diamond, you had Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. Uh, I don't yeah, know. who and, James, and he? I mean, Chris Christopherson. Right? Yeah, Chris right. Christopherson. You know, you, it's not it's not a matter of a country songwriter. It's a matter of a fucking songwriter. Right. The fact the, the fact that it was country was just because they were writing their lives. They were writing how they came up. They were writing regionally. Right. If they grew up in Brazil, this would be a very right. different story. They'd be, they'd be great bossa nova <laughs> <laughs> songwriters. Um, and, you know, that hit me. And uh, I, was, I was sitting at work. I think I was on talking to you. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, man. Uh, and, and I immediately reached for the album uh, that shares the name of the track we're going to play because I remember back uh, – when I first got introduced to, you know, I, I wasn't always a hardcore country person or old school country. First got introduced to that was when I first like uh, ended up in in Roanoke, Virginia, and a friend of mine who uh, he was had had just like for whatever reason was locked in on the country stuff, and he uh, introduced me to this stuff, and we play it for hours and hours and study it, and you know. There, there was the Mama Tried. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. that, and that album was just fucking yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple live albums and stuff, but it, it was this uh, one album um, that was released in '83, which is a duet album with Willie Nelson, uh, Poncho, and Lefty. That to this day, uh, the whole album gives me chills. But the song, especially, I think this embodies. Uh, a whole generation of outlaw country, a whole like 
and and two of the people and two of the greatest sunners of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Actually, three of them if you count Towns Van Zandt. Yeah, if you can, yeah, right, and Towns is, Van Zandt yeah. wrote the song. Right. He didn't so. write the solo though. He did not write the song. No. Uh, <laughs> so so this week we're gonna play uh, in our honor of Merle uh, Hag. We're gonna play Poncho and Lefty. So Ooh. here you go. Uh, if you haven't heard this, it's okay because you're gonna hear it now. Cold. And so the story ends, we're told. 
Poncho and Lefty, uh, Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. Um, oh, but you guys, I got the feels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got the feels. All um, of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we will, uh, yeah, Merle's gone. 2016 officially sucks ass. Uh, exactly. Who's next? I, I don't want to say Let's not, yeah, let's let's not go not, there. Let's, let's, not, not, go let's there. not give anyone any ideas. Yeah, let's, <laughs> not, let's, just, let's not do that one. Uh yeah that that is a uh, lovely song uh thanks to my friend Wells for introducing me to that shit so um yeah I think that's about our podcast this week cool yeah so uh you know you can look at us up on uh, iTunes if you have thoughts about this we kind of thought about death heaven today um it was a weird comment yeah <laughs> it was I wish I had been there to explain Deaf Heaven to you. And it's like, but you have at least 10,000 characters. We could have explained it right here. Yeah. In the comments. <laughs> we are open ears. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I responded. So maybe maybe that guy will come on the podcast. We'll see. That would be crazy. That's how this works. Yeah. That's right. generally how this works. Right. Reach out to the people. And the people yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, oh, and Whoa. the podcast ends with a cat fight. <laughs> a literal cat fight. Yeah. Wow. That shit went from zero to sixty very quickly. <laughs> yes, let, it me did. Tell you, let me tell you the yes, listeners. Gus just woke up and Bro. said, "Hey, man, you turn off my." Uh... <laughs> uh, thank you guys for coming down to the basement. Uh, we and, and talking some country uh, as always. You know, just if you if you think we were rough on this, I don't know. Reach out. Please let us know. Please, Please reach out. Don't I mean don't reach out and like knock us out of the show. That's not cool. <laughs> I mean that's country as fuck, but that's not cool. <laughs> right. But but you know reach out and uh and uh we all have a lot more thoughts on it. I think I mean Marcus you took notes. That, I that did. that's I crazy. Did. <laughs> I took notes because I was like okay, this this record it, it has so many different influences that I'm like okay, I have to make sure that I write all of them down as they yeah. come to me. So yes, yeah, yeah, I had to. So uh, we will see you guys uh, in a few short days on Monday. Since this is coming out on Thursday, uh, enjoy your weekend and uh, get out and see some live music. Until then, uh, be good to yours, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you later.
Kenobi. <laughs> 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 <laughs>